This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado, who's back from Mexico. We took a week off last week. Angie was down uh, south of the border and and uh, and unfortunately got a little sick. And so we, we gave her a week off to recover. We're back here on Monday, January 23rd to talk about everything that has transpired at Oregon State over the last couple of weeks, and there has been a lot of it. A new running back coach hire, the transfer portal window has closed, and a football schedule is out for the 2023 season. We're going to break down all of that and probably a little bit more, and then hopefully save some time for some of your questions at the end of the show. Thanks for joining us live on YouTube if you were doing so. If not, I assume you're listening to us on the podcast side, uh, and we thank you for joining us over there as well. Angie, I'll bring you in now here uh, as we uh, as we get this thing rolling. First of all, how are you feeling? And welcome back to the U.S. Thank you. Gosh, first of all, if we need something to happen, whether it be since I am a realtor, whether it means on the on the housing front or on the beaver front, Angie just needs to book a trip because I can't tell you how many times I've booked a trip in the past 17 years that I've done Beaver Blitz and got commitments. So like seriously, I heard about a commitment coming on last Thursday when I was heading down to Mexico to celebrate a friend's birthday. Um, I'm in the airport trying to type something up. I get it, put a little tease in the lodge. It doesn't happen all day, all day, all day, all day, all day, all day. I am at the little fiesta, get to my resort, and then I get a text that, yes, the commitment's happening, but it's a different guy than I had originally planned. So anyway, that's needless to say, I have a house under contract for a buyer and this lots going on. And then I got sick. So not alcohol induced sick. Just want to let that it, it was Mexico sick. So last this Monday, was legitimate. this was legit sick. Like I couldn't even lay by the pool. I was in my room. I text Carter. I don't think I'm going to be able to go today. This was last Monday. So um, luckily felt a little better, was able to fly home on Tuesday and back to the world. And uh, it's going to be back, but um, also nice to be in some sunshine as well. And you just got back from skiing over in central Oregon. So uh, it looked beautiful over there as well. 
Yeah, it was absolutely perfect. Bluebird day up on Mount Bachelor. Uh, spent the weekend in Bend. I did, I did pick up potentially a little bit of a cold. I, I have a sore throat. I don't know. I'm not congested or anything, so I probably sound fine. But I've got my my hot mug of tea here with a little bit of honey to hopefully get me through this episode without uh, without severely injuring my <laughs> my throat and, and voice box. So um, probably sounds okay, but I am I am battling a little bit of something. It's it's pretty minor though. Um, so hopefully, um, I don't know, hopefully it doesn't develop into anything like you had, Angie, because uh, that sounded pretty rough and unfortunately kind of put a damper on the end of your trip to Mexico. But both of us are back here. And as Angie said, it was a, a very busy week. We actually were were set to record a mailbag episode last Monday. But then as things kind of started building up, I was like, man, we, we probably have enough stuff to to talk about. Uh, on a full episode. And so we're going to do that this week. And then hopefully next week we can shift into a full mailbag. Um, but we did want to save some time to answer some questions because anytime a lot of news breaks, obviously questions come with it. So we're going to try to answer a bunch of them um, just throughout the rundown of this episode, but then also save some time if if maybe there were some that we didn't get to answer um, just kind of in the the flow of, of our conversation here. So uh, Angie, I, I put together this rundown and, and kind of left it open for interpretation as far as order, because uh, I don't necessarily know if any of these is like more pressing info than the other. And I, I kind of wanted to start with the head or the, the running back coach hire because it's the most, you know, like time relevant because um, it did occur over the weekend. So why don't we start with that uh, and, and start with Oregon State's hiring of Keith Bonifa as its new assistant head coach and running backs coach. So uh, replacing AJ Stewart, who took an associate head coach, running back coach job at Baylor last Tuesday. It took Oregon State, what, three, four days to find a replacement. Uh, and, and it's a good one. It's, it's record time too, but um, it is. It's a really good one. And um, for those people that were worried, I mean, so Oregon State, I... First of all, I don't worry as much when Oregon State loses a like a running back, receiver, DB coach. Those skill position guys are there's so many good coaches out there. Um, but this Keith was Coach Bonafa was on my list from day one. I mean, he's worked with Coach Smith for years. He was on Chris Peterson's staff for years. Um, great one, a great great coach. I, I think for the first couple time, you know, first couple hires, it just wasn't, it didn't work out in the cards. Um, you know, he had a great um, contract with Washington. Now fast forward to this year, spent a year back with Boise state because he wasn't retained with, uh, Kalen DeBoer's staff at Washington. So he was back at Boise state. Um, I, I just think it makes perfect sense. He was the recruiting coordinator at Washington for years. Um, you know, so I feel bad saying this because I, I just never felt like I got a good read on coach Stewart. Like Coach Petrie, awesome coach. I, I was sad to see him go. Coach Stewart was a little more reserved. I, I didn't feel like I got to know him as well. Um, but I think if he was, you know, a, a good young up-and-comer, Oregon State just has replaced him with a bona fide veteran, uh, proven, proven coach. Completely agree. So, you know, you mentioned A.J. Stewart was was kind of in and out. He spent two years at Oregon State, and I think – like you said, with with Petra, the the disappointment there and the concern about him leaving was, you know, I mean, it was genuine and, and for good reason. Um, but Oregon State's running back room didn't necessarily take a step back. I mean, recruiting wise, it, it was more of the same. Um, so, 
like you mentioned, you know, with, with these position groups that, that are more skill position based, I, I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, can you recruit and can you develop talent? And I, I think there are a lot of guys out there who can do it, but also like the skill positions are the easier positions to replace talent with. Um, so when you have a really good coach, I think you notice it, but it's also easier to, to replace than I think, um, than I think it might be at, at some of the other positions. Another thing that really excites me about him is he has a background in also helping with special teams. He also has a background with just run game in general. So I, I like Oregon state has already proven that they, they like to, you know, be collaborative in their coaching. So let him kind of get into the room with, with coach cook as in the, in the, and maybe add some wrinkles to the special teams, let him and coach Mahalachek really get in there and figure out a way to even make the run game even stronger. I, I just love this hire. I think it's it's great. And then anytime you can get a guy who has been recognized as the on-staff recruiting coordinator, the coaching staff recruiting coordinator, it's huge because those are your home run recruit. I think back, Oregon State hasn't had them all the time, hasn't had a recruiting coordinator, but names like Keith Hayward pop up, Nigel Burton pop up, guys that are solid, solid recruiters. And so to have him, um, it just proves that he's a really good recruiter as well. Yeah, so he's now the third running backs coach in, in four years at Oregon State. Again, I think we, we talk about the turnover there, the impact that can have. I, I think all of these coaches that Oregon State have brought in have have proven to be very good, and that's why you haven't seen a drop-off yeah. at that position. In fact, it's it's only gotten better. Um, I, I think Bonifa comes in with the potential to continue to elevate this group as somebody who has coached for 14 years who has proven that he can develop and, and recruit talent. I mean, he's got 11, 11 1,000 yard rushers in 14 years. That is really difficult to produce. Uh, let's go down the line here of yeah. some of those guys. It starts most recently with George Halani in 2022 at Boise state. Um, Selvan Ahmed at Washington, Miles Gaskin, of course had four 1,000 yard seasons, Jay Ajayi at Boise state, DJ Harper, Doug Martin, Jeremy Avery. I mean, there's a lot of NFL players mm-hmm on that list. And, and of course with, with Gaskin, somebody who did something at the college level that has very rarely been replicated in, in four 1000 yard seasons. So the, the track record is, is there no doubt. Um, but then the experience too, you know, half of this is finding a guy who has had success and, and has say sustained it over a long time. That was one thing I think maybe we were a little concerned about with AJ Stewart was that he was still kind of an up and coming, you know, I think he had only coached for what, four or five years before he took the job at Oregon state, obviously proved to be a non-issue, but with Bonifa, somebody who started at Hawaii as a GA in 2003 and has coached every year since, um, long time at, at Boise state uh, as a running backs coach, recruiting coordinator, then moved over to Washington when Chris Peterson's staff moved there, took on running backs and recruiting coordinator for a few years. Um, you mentioned the special teams aspect. So, I mean, somebody who has coached at multiple positions and then picked up an associate head coach job at uh, or, or assistant at Boise State, holds on to that title at Oregon State. So somebody, again, who has taken on more and more responsibilities as he's gained more and more experience um, and, and who has... The, you know, a pretty wide footprint now on the West coast coaching at multiple spots, add that in with the, um, the familiarity with Jonathan Smith. And I, I think it's a home run hire. Completely. You know, here's a guy, he, Clint Moses mentions it in the chat. He's from California. He played his college ball at Hawaii and now um, has spent his entire career in the Northwest, whether that be at Boise state or Washington and now Oregon state. So just the, um, 
the footprint is right there. I mean, it all makes sense. I, I actually, when I was, when this, when news broke that AJ Stewart was leaving, I was starting to put my, my shortlist together for a coaching hot board. It just made sense. I mean, he was on the top of my hot board. I hadn't published it yet because Friday when I was getting ready to publish it, it was all coming out that he was the guy. So um, like you, like you said, Carter, it's a home run hire and I'm excited to see what this room can, how they can even elevate more. I assume we'll get our first media availability with him uh, when, when spring camp rolls around and what a, a month and a half. I mean, yeah, we're very close. Yeah. It's, it's coming up pretty quickly. Um, uh, of course, a, f- a few things to, um, to, to cover between now and then basketball is going on baseball media day. Now, two days away as record this on Monday. Um, so things are, are picking up, but definitely we'll be excited to interview uh, coach Bonifa in the spring when camp rolls around. All right. So uh, that was one piece of news. The second one, it was the schedule. And I think we're going to save that for the second half of the episode, because I want to talk about the transfer portal, because uh, of course that is, I mean, that's the story basically in college football in the month of January is all of the comings and goings and, and movements and commitments and you name it, that, that comes with the transfer portal NIL. Um, all of that comes to somewhat of a halt now for the next couple of months as this first transfer portal window closes. Now, you can still commit if you're in the portal and you know and, and join a program, but you're not going to see anybody enter the portal right now. Um, so that kind of puts a, I, I guess, somewhat of a, a bow on Oregon State's transfer portal efforts, recruiting-wise and um, as far as roster turnover goes. Let's start with the guys who have departed Oregon State because now we can uh, go down the line and, and you know again finalize some of these departures. So most recently, you had. Omar Spates, the inside linebacker, team's leading tackler, uh, multiple-time all-conference selection, uh, who chose LSU. He'll spend uh, his his last year of eligibility. He has two years of eligibility, but we imagine he'll he'll play right away there at, at LSU and finish out his career uh, back towards the East Coast, a little closer to home, you know, in Philadelphia. Um, but Angie, what are what was kind of your read on, on Spates' departure? Because I don't think we got a chance to talk about that on the podcast when it broke. And obviously it was big and, and fairly disappointing news for Oregon State. Yeah, so this actually broke when I was in the airport on Thursday, getting ready to head to, to Mexico. Um, a really good source called me um, to let me know about this news. So Omar, what, I mean, there was talk of him going to the NFL this for this this 2023 year. He decided he told all the coaches he was staying put at Oregon State, had unfinished business. But, you know, he if you notice, he didn't come out and make that announcement like other people have. So um, this is the part of the portal that I'm not a fan of in that it's um, there's new agents. And I say agents in air quotes because they're technically not supposed to have agents, but it's a way for the back channels to be working. And, and I'm not saying that it's hundred percent bad because these kids need to test the water, but when people get in the ears and tell kids that, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It was offered to Omar. Um, I know that there was talk that he needed more um, exposure from the, instead of the PAC 12, which I don't necessarily agree with. I think that there's plenty of exposure in the, in the West coast um, in the PAC 12, but for whatever reason, he, he thought it was a good idea and I think it was a d- difficult decision for him because I'd heard some rumors, rumblings Wednesday night. He was in the portal. He was out of the portal. He was, you know, so I think it was a, a thing for him to be really torn on as well. I mean, he is, um, you know, a beaver through and through. But I think at the end of the day, he has given four solid years to Oregon State. 
Um, and if he needed a change of scenery and, and feel like this is the best move for him, I think as Beaver fans, all you can do is, is applaud him and wish him the best of luck. Um, I, it does. It, it was a little bit of a gut punch, I think for Beaver fans, but um, yeah, it's, it'll be fun, I guess, to watch him and see how he does. And Oregon state has to look at this now as next man up. You have Easton Mascarenas. Um, you got, you know, you have some guys there that are ready to make that next move. Um, Miller, John Miller, there's some, there's some guys there. So um, Makaya Tung is the, as another one that has made a position switch to inside linebacker. So um, another one to kind of watch there as, as we move forward, but um, yeah, Carter, that was part of my busy day Thursday from the airport. Yeah. Uh, going back to the decision and, and how difficult it was, uh, Omar Spates's mom took to Twitter and, and said that it was an incredibly difficult decision for him and, and, you know, and for their family. And, and ultimately he did decide uh, to transfer to LSU, but uh, you know, clearly, and, and from what Angie was hearing as well, this was, you know, Spates was, was torn on this. And it's unfortunate again, that, you know, we, we are in this era where, you know, we can throw around the P word and say that Omar Spates maybe was poached. And, you know, you had other programs looking at a, a top player on a school that, again, you know, probably doesn't get a lot of attention. But um, when you're the leading tackler on a 10 win team, I, you know, I think the exposure is there. Um, so it is it is unfortunate to see him leave a, a good situation. But, you know, potentially LSU is a better one. Well, you never know. We'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I do want to make a point, though, because I've seen this a lot on social media that Oregon State, um, you know, was not offering NIL and all this stuff. That's not the case. He mm -hmm. did have an NIL package. It, now, now, does it match what SEC teams and LSU are offering? I, I can't say. I can't speak on the amounts. But um, don't think that Oregon State was not competitive in this. Um, you know, he had an NIL deal in place. And so I just wanted to clear that up because I, I see a lot of Oregon State doesn't have an NIL or they're not active in NIL. That's not the case. Another unfortunate thing that came from this, and, you know, this is something that we see in, in a lot of other fan bases, but maybe not necessarily Oregon State a whole lot, is some of the the trash talking, I, I think, that came from this and, and was directed towards Omar. Uh, you know, as, as fans, as media members, as, you know, as anyone around this program that's not directly within it, like, remember that these student athletes don't owe you anything. I mean, Omar Spates spent four years at Oregon State the only reason that he's even had an opportunity to transfer was because of the COVID year, you know, in, in any other situation, he would have just graduated, moved on to the NFL. Uh, he, he didn't owe Oregon state fans coming back for a fifth year. You know, it's, and, it's and obviously gave, disappointing that yeah. he's moving on, but you know, he, it's his decision to make. And, and he's and as, left the program better than when he came. I mean, absolutely. yeah, I, I get really angry when I see fans, I suppose, especially you're supposed to be a fan of the program, mm -hmm. you know, support these guys. Um, and they're, like I said, this wasn't some sour grapes. I, I want to leave. And there was no ill will. I mean, this was a hard decision for him from mm -hmm. what I've heard and um, wish him well and cheer him on. And, and hopefully someday he'll make the NFL and um, you know, he'll be able to cheer for, for him there as well. Yeah, I, I just think it's disappointing to see that. And and yeah. again, something that we don't often see from Oregon State fans. I, I think this fan base tends to be, you know, one of the more, um, you know, I, I don't think it's as, as quite of a, a divisive or a divided fan base as some of the others. And I, I think it's very rare that we see this kind of, um, you know, these kinds of conversations unfold on Twitter and, and even a little bit uh, at Beaver Blitz. It was a little disappointing to see a couple of comments, not many. Um, but you know, they, they pop up on, on these different channels. And I, I think it's, 
you know, I, I think we need to remind people again, it's, it was a tough decision. He's moving on to what he assumes is a better situation and you have to respect him and, and applaud him for that. Um, Carter, don't you if, laugh though? Because these same people that on social media are begrudging kids for, um, taking a new opportunity or a change of scenery are the same ones that change jobs. I yeah. mean, people aren't staying in their same job for 50 years. Right. And yeah, I mean, think about this. Let's say Omar Spates, and again, kind of speculating here, was offered a, a, yeah. a you know, a pretty lucrative deal yeah. to go. Like, th- wouldn't you do the same? <laughs> exactly. You know, if, I mean, if you were going to go play on national TV and make more money and play in a tougher cop, like, wouldn't you take that too? I mean, again, it's, you know, you have to put yourself in, in, in the student athlete's shoes, but I digress. I just, yes, I, wish I wanted him to well. address it because, I agree. I agree because... It, it was, it was really disappointing to see yeah. some of that. Um, okay. Let's move on to some of the other departures that Oregon state saw in this first transfer portal window, um, moving uh, to the, to the offensive side at the tight end position, JT Byrne. Uh, on January 5th, entered the portal and actually was it the same day or or the it day was the, after? It was the same day. It was like two yeah. hours later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same day. Announces his commitment to California, stays in the Pac-12. He'll have three years to play three uh, for the Golden Bears down there in Berkeley. I think uh, I, I think this one for me was an example of the transfer portal used very well by a yes. student athlete where didn't enter the portal until he knew he had a solid landing place. Um, you know, probably had a, somewhat of an offer on the table um, and and knew that if he entered the portal, he had somebody who would take him. I, I think that's that's kind of what you want to see from the transfer portal, not somebody who goes and gets stuck there. And, you know, the season's a month away and they're thinking, oh, no, am I not going to land somewhere? Um, this this was the portal used to perfection. Yeah, I, I agree, Carter, but there's a thing called um, that, that you worry about where coaches and this is where I say agents and I'm, I'm using air quotes in that um, regard, just back channels going on. Um, the, yeah. I've heard tampering. It's not necessarily tampering. I mean, I know coaches will call it that, um, but you theoretically don't want a kid to be talking to another program until he's in the portal. Um, but I see the point. If it was my son, I'd be like, I'd be trying every back channel I could because you, you don't want someone to end up in the portal and just be sitting there. Yeah, that's, I guess, kind of where it becomes a bit of a double-edged yeah. sword. Um, maybe not, you know, maybe maybe perfect, used to perfection is, yeah. is you know, a, a stretch here. But I, I think, again, the point stands, like, yeah. you shouldn't enter the portal unless, well, I, you know, I'm not telling people what to do. But the smart move is to, you know, be fairly confident that you have schools that will take you before you enter the portal. Um, but again, every 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 case is different. Uh, okay, Tristan Jebia also the quarterback who spent spent this year as as uh, the the QB three to open the year and then moved up to to QB two and then uh, saw a decent amount of playing time down the stretch uh, in that backup role. Moves on to Ohio State for his final year of eligibility. Again, that's assuming he gets his medical hardship waiver, which we think is a slam dunk if he hasn't gotten it already. Um, Jebby entered the transfer portal on January 3rd and then announced his commitment to Ohio state earlier in the week. Good for Tristan. You know, obviously this is, this isn't about playing time. This is about getting coaching experience. And, you know, we assume that Jebby is someone who could return as a, as a graduate assistant, Um, but making connections, you know, being on a, a Ryan day led roster, um, just kind of bolstering your leadership skills. I think this is a great, great landing spot for Jebbia as far as that goes. 
Yeah, I, I have a, a colleague that covers Ohio State and talked to him a little bit. He said it's a perfect spot for him because they do need some backup. They, you know, they they're a little thin in the backup position, but also, um, for you know, I told him Tristan wants to be a coach. He's he's publicly mm-hmm. said that and needed to expand kind of his his connections on that. So a really smart, thought out um, thing for Tristan, uh, a landing spot. I had heard Baylor rum, 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 rumored around there, but um, you can't go wrong with uh, you know Big Ten, Ryan Day. And Ohio State, it, it will look good on his on his resume. Long snapper Connor, Connor Maholovich also entered the portal on January third with with Tristan Jebbia, and then um, pretty quickly announced that he will head to Citrus College, a, a junior college down in Southern California. Uh, he has four years to play for, and and actually in his announcement didn't rule out a potential return to Oregon State. So a chance for him to go down, get some playing time, and then maybe come back um, as a as a junior college transfer at that long snapper position. Um, another walk-on, Jake Perella at outside linebacker at the end of December announced his intent to transfer. He's heading to Southern Illinois, three years to play three. Uh, in the defensive backfield, Jonathan Riley on December 19th entered the transfer portal. Now, this is someone who um, did get a medical hardship waiver. We were curious about where he was getting his calculation that he had two years to play, um, but he does, in fact, have two years to play because he got a medical hardship waiver. Um, but as far as I'm aware, Jonathan Riley has not landed anywhere. Yeah, I haven't seen him land. He's been putting out his film, too, that he's 100%. So yeah. hopefully he finds a home. Uh, the big one, when it broke on December 1st, Chance Nolan, uh, he was actually the the first the first Oregon State player to enter the portal in, in this window. So we had two uh, that we saw earlier in the year, Ron Harge, on October 31st and then Jake Blair back in August, but those were, were technically before this transfer portal window opened. Um, so the, the, the winter portal window opened with Chance Nolan hitting it um, one year to play one. And, you know, we assume is, is now healthy enough, um, but hasn't announced a, a destination, hasn't committed anywhere. And uh, there, there have been some ties potentially to Indiana, but again, nothing has been announced officially so we're still kind of waiting to see there. I, I think he did speak um, to, to someone at 24-7, if I remember correctly, and, and said that he was going to take a couple of visits. Um, but here we are almost two months later, and, and Chance Nolan has yet to land anywhere. Well, what, what Chance Nolan did say in that interview with 24-7 was that due to the injury, that he had some issues to clear up for graduation, to be a graduate. Mm-hmm. So this goes right back, Carter, to what you and I speculated, that after the injury, he just he left. I mean, he was, yeah. you know, and I know Oregon State officials will say, oh, no, he was around. No, he wasn't. I, I yeah. heard he showed up to one or two practices. He, I don't know if he was that injured, if he just kind of was done. Um, obviously, he didn't maybe do everything he needed to in the classroom because now it's maybe put him behind for graduation because that is what he told 24-7 that he had for Indiana, he had to clear up some graduation issues. So hope he lands somewhere. I hope he's healthy. First and foremost, I hope he's healthy. Um after his, we never really even got a straight answer there. Next string concussion protocol. So, um, yeah, good luck to him. But um, he will not be back at Oregon State. Yeah, not a, not a huge surprise there. Um, as far as maybe it taking a little bit of time to find a destination, just because um, of, of the injury piece. And you know, teams were obviously going to want to sort out where he was there. Um, you, anytime you get credits involved, it becomes very difficult. Um, to, to sort things out there as, as far as eligibility goes. So it does sound like there are a few hiccups as far as Chance Nolan's uh, transfer commitment is concerned. 
Uh, so that rounds out the list of, of beavers who entered the portal. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in this early transfer portal window. Again, there were two more during the season, um, but seven, yeah, seven during the, uh, yeah. during the uh, official window. Now, again, players can still commit during this uh, kind of this, I guess, transfer dead period. Um, the next portal window will open May 1st and remain open through May 15th. So you could still see Oregon State land someone from the portal, uh, but no current Beavers will enter. Uh, Oregon State has already landed five players from this first uh, this first portal opening. Obviously, the headliner quarterback DJ Uyunglele comes in from Clemson um, immediately, QB1. And I think we're going to be talking all along season angie about the expectations reasonable expectations the ceiling for oregon state what this means um but again we're we're only a month and a half away from seeing dj uyungle in an oregon state uniform um so pretty excited there um let's talk about some of the players because i mean we've gone in depth on, yeah, on dj yeah. here we had a whole damn about, podcast about DJ. i know i know we talked for a half hour um, so let's move on and, and talk about some of the other guys who we haven't gotten a chance to highlight necessarily. And uh, let's start with tight end Jermaine Terry, who, I mean, we talk about, you know, the transfer portal basically being free agency yeah. for college football. Well, I, I think Oregon State and Cal might have just pulled off a trade, basically, yes. <laughs> as far as tight ends go. Sending JT Byrne down to California and then getting Jermaine Terry back from the Golden Bears. As far as stars are concerned, Oregon State won the trade. Yeah, Jermaine Terry was was pretty highly rated out of high school. Um, hasn't necessarily done a ton for the Golden Bears, but Cal's offense is bad. <laughs> right, right. So you yeah. have to take it with a grain of salt. Um, everything that I have heard about Terry and and you know this, this is Brandon Huffman, um, all of the other twenty four seven guys who who covered his his uh, his recruitment have said, you know, this is a player who who still has a very very high ceiling, and I think it's a great get for Oregon State. Yeah, Brandon Brandon Huffman loves him. So as I said, I'm in Mexico. I have a different story ready to go, mind you, and it's still sitting in the hopper for the who I expected to commit on Thursday. And I'm sitting at dinner, and I get a text that Jermaine Terry is announcing in 30 minutes. It's like, okay. So I text Carter immediately. Hey, can you throw together a story? He's like, I'm on my way to basketball. I was like, so I text Brandon Huffman. I'm like, hey, you around? Can you do a story? Beavs are getting Jermaine Terry. And he's like, I love that kid. I mean, you should have saw the text back and forth because – he said Oregon State won this this trade. Um, he said the kid is athletic. Um, he will do huge things in Oregon State's offense. And he was kind of a, a product of Cal's crappy offense in, in a way. So I'm excited to see what Jermaine Terry does. Yeah, it's kind of cool that, you know, you replace Luke Musgrave with a guy like this who was uh, even more highly recruited um, and, and highly rated out of high school. Put him next to Jack Velling, who was a, a freshman All-American by, mm-hmm. by one outlet. I, I mean... Man, that, that tight end room is, is oh, and then going to continue another, to be stacked. Okay, so, and then another move that I, it's not, a, we haven't, we're not putting moves down here, position moves yet, but I just want to bring it up because we just mentioned that um, Makaya Tung was moving inside linebacker. Riley Sharp is moving to tight end as well. So, um, kind of, I, I, I see Riley Sharp moving kind of in that spot, maybe a like a Coletto blocking, totally. maybe, maybe H back at fullback, just make him a blocker. But uh, sorry, I digress there. Yeah, no, it's, it's an important note because that did break this week. Uh, Riley Sharp moving over from the defensive side. You and I actually, Andrew, were, were kind of waiting on maybe an announcement whether was, of, yeah. of whether he was even going to come back at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I think he finds a role there. 
uh, in what could be kind of that Coletto package. You know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be taking direct snaps and running in for two yard touchdowns, but maybe a, a blocking role, get him involved as a fullback. We'll have to wait and see. I'm excited to see in camp maybe yeah. uh, this spring if, if they use a, a sharp package at all. Um, continuing on the offensive line, Grant Stark transferred in from Nevada. And, and this was a big pickup at the time because Grant Stark actually, I, I think, was one of the more uh, you know highly sought after offensive linemen in the portal. Uh, this again, he was he was kind of this was on the earlier side, um, but immediately picked up offers from all sorts of power five programs, a bunch of Pac-12 schools and Oregon State landed him coming home. He's a, a Springfield native, so. He'll be close to family, assuming they're still out here. Uh, big pickup on the offensive line. We expect Stark to, if not start, be the, the first guy off the bench. Yeah, absolutely. He, huge, huge pickup. Came in from Nevada um, where he was, uh, you know, all all Mountain West at, on the O-line. So big pickup. Um, I know he, he visited Oregon State that first weekend in December or the second weekend where they could have visits. Um, took some other visits. Visited UCLA that same Big recruiting weekend that Chip had right before before um, early signing period, but uh, did end up with Oregon State. Two defensive newcomers via the portal for Oregon State, and it starts with uh, with someone whose name I haven't actually nailed down yet. Olu, uh, an outside linebacker <laughs> who who I think we're probably just going to refer to as Olu. Oluwase um, Omatosho. Uh, it's my best guess. I, I tried to find some some highlights that maybe you know you had a broadcaster saying his name, and I couldn't find any, um, which which I thought was surprising because he had a pretty good season at Wyoming. Uh, on the edge there, he was actually a defensive lineman um, at, at Wyoming, but we expect him to come in as as kind of a outside linebacker, edge rusher hybrid kind of guy um, with a, somewhat of a lighter frame for a defensive lineman. Yeah, so, we'll be seeing him stand up and uh, have a hand down both. Mm-hmm. So. Think, um, think Andrew Chatfield, think Addison Gums at, at one point, yeah. you know, Hamika Rashid, kind of that same similar build. Um, but someone who had, if, if not double digit tackles for a loss close to it at Wyoming, had a ton of sacks. Um, so a, a big pickup on the defense there, you know, a potential starter or, or two deep rotation guy there. Um, and then a, a player rounding it out most recently um, Mason Tufaga at inside linebacker, someone who I, I think became a lot more important to Oregon State when Omar Space left. Um, you know, Oregon State targeted him. I remember this this recruitment very well. His his brother Isaiah was a Beaver at one point, transferred to Hawaii. Um, but Mason's coming in from from Utah, who of course knows how to recruit on the defensive side <laughs> of the ball. So um, didn't play for the Utes, but I, I think comes in with a, a still still a pretty high ceiling, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him in the rotation right away. Yeah. I mean, he just adds, like you said, with, with the news that Omar space was leaving, his pickup is even that much more important. And even to the point that he was originally going to come in in the spring because Oregon state Mm -hmm. didn't have spots available. um, A spot opened up and he was able to come in immediately. So he is on campus and ready and already with the team. Um, But huge, huge pickup. So you add him now in that mix with, with, you know, like the guys we've named, Easton Mascarenas, John Miller, Micaiah Tung. So big pickup for Oregon State. That rounds it out. Five pickups via the transfer portal. And unless we missed any, I think we got them all. There's, <laughs> there is a lot of movement uh, via this route right now, but it will continue to, to slow down a little bit as um, you'll see the, the supply and demand shift a little bit as guys 
have to wait to enter until May. Uh, and, and some of these guys, you know, finally commit. Um, and curious. And I, just, curious I, to, I, I was ahead. just going to say, so now that, you know, we're a couple weeks out from signing day, the original signing day on February mm -hmm. 1st, what you're going to see now are preferred walk-ons and junior college players. So we will talk more in depth. Tyrese Ivy is, is one of those um, college of San Mateo DBs that just landed at Oregon state. Talk about him more in the, in the weeks ahead, but um, yeah, for transfer portal, kind of, kind of slowing down. Now, like I said, we're ramping up with preferred walk-ons. With that, let's take a quick break and, and tell everyone why they should head to Oregon State, because as far as the transfer portal is concerned, if you want rankings, if you want news, I mean, 24-7 Sports has it all. Beaver Blitz, proud to be a, a member of the 24-7 Sports Network. Angie, tell the people about this 30% uh, this off deal that we still have active on the site. We have 30% off, get you a full year of Beaver Blitz, an annual subscription for $75.18. Screaming deal um, and so much coming up. Not only is basketball in effect and it's maybe not doing quite as well as, as some Beaver fans had hoped, but spring ball is coming up. Spring football, that is, and baseball. And you guys won't want to miss baseball coverage because the Beavers checked in today and Baseball America has them ranked 18 preseason. Um looking for another big year on the, on the diamond, but football really is a, a year round deal here. So um, we will be having spring football. We'll be having more breakdowns of, of the class um, discussions about, you know, the two deep early looks and uh, it's never really a quiet time at Beaver Blitz. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, we move now to more of the news that broke over the last week. And uh, I, I think the big one for, for most Pac-12 schools uh, was the release of the Pac-12 2023 football schedule. So Oregon State, of course, already knew who its opponents were going to be. It just didn't know, you know what times, what days, where the bye was going to fall, the order of some of these games. Uh, but we finally have an answer there. So, Angie, let's start by just running through. Uh, I'll take you through the schedule week okay. by week, um, and then I'll, I'll, I'll share some of the notes that I took, some of the notes that Oregon State provided us with, and then maybe we can give our thoughts um, about how we see or how we see Oregon State potentially uh, running through this thing. So sounds good. Season starts on September second. Now that is less than nine months away. So, you know, this is, this will go quick. It will go very quickly. Uh, September 2nd, Oregon State actually opens on the road at San Jose State, uh, going up against Brent Brennan. So uh, uh, quite a few Oregon State connections on that staff. Uh, you'll see Oregon State at San Jose State opening with a Mountain West opponent on the road. Then the Beavers home opener. This is the grand opening of the new Reeser Stadium 
that will be on September 9th against UC Davis. So, you know, not necessarily a, a splashy home opener or anything, uh, but a chance for Oregon State to pick up some early season wins there uh, against UC Davis. They stay at home for two straight uh, games at the New Look Research Stadium, welcoming San Diego State in uh, to, to Corvallis there. So two Mountain West opponents and an FCS opponent. I think that's exactly what you ask for as an Oregon State fan. You know, these are not guaranteed wins, but uh, they're much easier than than going on the road to Ohio State or Michigan like the Beavers have done. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, yeah, you look at that, though. San Jose State and San Diego State are two of the better teams in the in the Mountain West. So um, I look at that as but Oregon State did beat Boise and uh, Fresno this year. So um, just a, a good test. You don't you never want to start too easy, but you never want to start too hard either. So I think that's a right right about a good middle ground. Um, to have kind of a tune-up game with UC Davis and, and have a couple, you know, quality opponents, uh, Mountain West opponents to uh, kind of test your test your metal right out the gate. Absolutely. Now, I, I mean, you know, these games in September, you worry about the weather. It seems like anytime Oregon State opens with a home game, that's like always the weekend that like the dry spell breaks and it rains and stuff. But going to San Jose that time of year, I, I think will be pretty pleasant. It's not going to be as bad as going to Fresno. Um, but I, I like that Oregon State tries to rack up home games on the front end of the schedule when the weather's nice and, you know, when you the, the sun stays up later. So those late night drives to Corvallis aren't as bad. Um, Oregon State, again, with with two home games there. Um, and then they, they, they go on the road to open Pac-12 play, but then they come back and have two more home games before the bye. So a, a very front-heavy home schedule. Uh, but speaking of that Pac-12 opener, uh, they go to the Palouse and, and take on Washington State on September 23rd. Uh, that's, again, Oregon State, you know, beat Washington State for the first time in, shoot, nearly a decade last year. Um, but now the test is, can the Beavers go on the road to Pullman, a place that they have not won in a very long time, uh, and beat the Cougs? Then I think, Angie, this is this is the first game that we have really circled on our schedules. It's September 29th. The Beavers return home for a Friday night game against Utah. This is probably the, the toughest test of the front half of the schedule for Oregon State. And this will be a great litmus test as to what the ceiling is for this, this 2023 is, team. This is huge. I mean, I, when I first saw this, it, it kind of screams like USC this weekend or this past year. Um, students will be back. It'll be ruckus. It'll be mayhem. And uh, that'll be a big one. I, I, I really think that is a huge, huge test. Um and, and I also like that Oregon State is playing at Washington State in early in, in mid or late September because the weather again. Um, totally. You never want to be going to the Palouse in late November. And you know Salt Lake City, you know it's it's yeah. nice that you get uh, that you get Utah Utah at home. Of course, the Rice Eccles effect uh, going there. Oregon State just saw, just saw how difficult it was yeah. this year. So getting the Utes at home, which you know you go back to the 2021 season. Utah's only loss in Pac-12 play was at Reeser Stadium. Yeah. So getting the Utes at home, I think, is a huge advantage for Oregon State. And I think, I mean, the Utes are obviously going to be ready. I mean, right. but um, I, I just love that matchup. I think that is going to be kind of the, that'll be a prime time game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you said, Friday night game. Like I said, Oregon State should be rowdy. The, the fans, should, fans should be into it. Um, I'm excited for that one. It is a little unfortunate that it's a Friday night because I think from a game day perspective, it could have had some appeal if it was a, you know, a Saturday night ESPN game. I'm just throwing that out there, but uh, a Friday night game, again, should be a a pretty raucous environment in Corvallis. 
Um, the beginning of a trend where Oregon State gets some of its tougher opponents at home this year, which is yeah. big. Um, but then they they go on the road here on October 7th, the next game up to California, a game that we expect Oregon State should win. But again, you know, if you're if you're going to take that next step, you have to dominate on the road like the Beavers did down the stretch of the season. But, you know, this is a this is a matchup that two years ago in Berkeley, Oregon State lost. So you never know. Uh, they go down to the Golden Bears on October 7th and then return for, again, another example of playing your tougher games at home. October 14th, a matchup against you, uh, Chip Kelly's UCLA Bruins to close out the, the first half of the schedule. Now, now, looking at that, Carter, the Beeps could go into that game against UCLA pretty highly ranked because I expect mm-hmm. them to enter the season, you know, in that 15 to 18 range, 15 mm-hmm. to 20. If they can pull off some wins there coming into US, UCLA at home, how big is that game? Or do you still think Utah's bigger? I think Utah's bigger. Um, we'll, we'll see. UCLA's done pretty well in the portal. Uh, does Dante Moore play as a freshman? We'll see at that quarterback position. I, I think UCLA's probably in the mix for a Pac-12 title again, but but might play somewhat of the of the role that Oregon State played last year, where it's yeah. kind of you know that that top team and the next tier up. Um, so I think it's a big game. Don't get me wrong, uh, but I, I I do think Utah's the bigger one. I, I just UCLA to me is always. It, or not always, but they have underperformed yeah. for many years. So uh, Then Oregon State goes on its bye. And I, I think, you know, getting your bye seven games in, you know, maybe you like to see it eight or nine weeks in, but, um, you know, realistically, this is about as late as you can get it. Um, some of the other Pac-12 schools, I mean, Oregon's is like four or five weeks in, mm-hmm. uh, which is is kind of brutal. You like to see the bye on the second half of the season, and I think getting it in the middle of October is is just about perfect. Um, so a chance for the Beavers to, to heal up, rest up, make some adjustments there uh, before going on the road for for a two-game uh, two road swing. So this actually does start a, a month without a game in Corvallis, uh, which happens, but but maybe not necessarily every year. Um, so the Beavers go from October 15th to November 10th without a home game. Um, but again, they do go down to the desert to take on Arizona, a team that they have not played in, in some time. Jed Fish's Wildcats squad getting better, plays hard. That could be a tough game on the road, uh, but it's nice that the Beavers get a bye, game bef- or a, a bye week before it. Arizona will also have a bye before that game. Um, but I, I think it's very winnable. And then you follow it up with another road game, at Colorado, Deion Sanders' first year, who knows? Um, <laughs> but a, another program that we expect to see, we expect to be in that that bottom half of the the conference. So uh, back-to-back road games, but I, I think they're you're comfortable with playing those teams on the road. Absolutely. But you know what kind of what, what stood out to me, and this is kind of pe- being petty, but Oregon State being orange and black, though that game, the home game right before Halloween is always such a fun one for students, mm-hmm. for the the team always comes out in their orange and black. It's kind of sad that there's not going to be a home game on either side of Halloween this year. It is a little bit of a bummer. Um, the next home game for Oregon State is on November 11th against Stanford. Um, <laughs> you know, that, that game against Stanford last <laughs> Stanford. year provided provided um, it did. fireworks. Provided a lot of fireworks, and I think some of that was probably a product of there being no environment at Stanford Stadium. <laughs> Uh, so I think Oregon State actually will be quite glad to play the Cardinal in Corvallis this year. Um, that's the first of two back-to-back home games. The, the second back-to-back, um, 
uh, at, at Research Stadium with Washington coming in on November 18th. And, and this this two-game stretch to close the season has the potential to be absolutely massive for Oregon State. Uh, one of them is on the road at Oregon, but getting Washington in Corvallis late in November, I mean, this is a huge, huge spot for the Beavers. I don't, I, I don't like the spot. I, I, was, I, I don't like having Washington and Oregon back-to-back, personally. Um, but you're right. It, it could be seismic, not only for Oregon State, but for the whole Pac-12. The, totally. those, I mean, for, for Washington, for Oregon, and for Oregon State. If these teams live up to their potentials, you're going to see the Pac-12 title determined in these two weeks. And, and these two games are going to decide some of the seeding, uh, you know, the, the final standings. Washington, Oregon, and Oregon State are all likely to be in the mix for a Pac-12 title. I, I think Washington will probably enter the year as the favorite, considering what they did last year, bringing Michael Penix Jr. back. Um, but, but again, another big-time game against a, a tough opponent in Reese or Stadium. The Beavers are going to be glad that they're playing the Huskies at home after going up to Seattle and, and losing by a narrow margin this year. Yeah. Uh, and then we close things out on November 24th, Black Friday, the the rivalry game moves back to Black Friday after um, what? How many years on on Saturday? It, it at least was on Saturday this past year. But going down to Autzen, um, the home team dominates in this series, Angie. So I, I, you know, you worry about Oregon State going down to Autzen a little bit. But again, anything can happen in this game. Yeah, and if that wasn't true, you just have to look at twenty twenty two to see that yeah. game. Um, I, you know, Friday. I like the Black Friday game. I think there's a lot of people that watch that. You know, mm-hmm. they're home, maybe um, hanging out, just, you know, maybe putting up Christmas decorations, what have you. So um, I do think it gets some eyeballs that maybe wouldn't have on a, on a Saturday. That's got like 4 p.m. on ABC written yes, all over it. it does. Or 1230. Or 1230. Yeah I, yeah, I guess they're not afraid to put the Black Friday games earlier in the day because yeah. they know that most people are not working. Um, we will be working. We will be working. We will be covering all 12 all of, of those games. That's uh, that's Oregon State's 2023 football schedule right there. So now uh, a couple of notes, and and this is what I, I actually tweeted a few of these out. I, I thought it was kind of a quirky schedule. Yeah, uh, I do too. I, I feel like, you know, it favors Oregon State in a lot of ways, but there are a few things that are a little random that maybe go against the Beavers. And, you know, you can talk about how much this stuff actually matters, but I don't know. I found it intriguing a little bit that Oregon State starts and ends the season on the road. It's not entirely often that you start and end it at home or on the road. Normally, you know, you see one or the other. Um, The Beavers go almost a month without a home game in the middle of the season. Again, I said, you know, that happens from time to time, but not every year. Um, Two back-to-back home game sets, kind of odd. You you don't often see, you know, these these back-to-backs at home on the road. And and to get multiple uh, in the same year is, is a little bit rare. And then two Friday games. Um, Oregon State has played Friday games in the past, for sure. Um, they were actually scheduled to play two Friday games last year, and then the one against Oregon was moved to Saturday uh, right before the season started, actually. Uh, but as it stands now, two Friday games for the Beavers uh, for the first time in a couple of years. Uh, Angie, anything else stand out to you as far as like, uh, hmm, that's kind of a kind of a, a weird way to schedule it? I, I agree with you that the several back-to-back, whether they're home or, or mm-hmm. road games, I, I think that was the biggest thing that stood out. And like I said, the, the main takeaway I took, well, two main takeaways, that Utah game is going to be huge at the beginning of the season and the Washington game later in the season. Both of those. Yeah. I, I wish Washington would have been maybe that October 28th game. I, if I was if I was making the schedule, I would have flipped Washington and Arizona. So you would have had Washington at home 
after the bye and then at Arizona the week before at Oregon. That's how I would have done it, but they didn't ask me. And uh, Clint, honestly, Clint it, Moses in the yeah. chat. Sorry, I interrupted you there, but uh, th- this is a good point from the YouTube chat. Clint Moses says only six home games while others have seven or eight. It's a good point. Um, you know, we talk about Oregon State's biggest games being at home, safe for Oregon on the road. Um, but volume wise, there just aren't a ton of them. You know, I think the Beavers had, well, they had seven this year, but they played one at a neutral site, but technically seven home games. Um, it, it totally depends. When you play a nine game conference season, sometimes you're going to have five home conference games. Sometimes you're going to have four home conference games. And this is one of those years where Oregon State gets five on the road and, and four at home, but they do make up for it. Uh, with two of the three non-conference games being at home. But yeah, you know, obviously if if you're Oregon State, you hope that, you know, you have seven home and, and five road like a lot of the teams in the conference do. But uh, a lot of that comes down to how you schedule a non-conference and what kind of year it is as far as whether you get the five or four in Pac-12 play. Uh, a couple of other notes that Oregon State provided us. And, and you know, first of all, I, I guess we should... Uh, recognize Oregon State doesn't play Arizona State this year. It's the first time since 2016, actually, that the Beavers and Sun Devils have missed each other, which um, as far as those north-south crossovers go, very rarely do you see six straight years of of playing a team. So um, ASU will be happy, though. ASU will be very happy. Oregon (laughs) State has dominated that series the last couple of years, even in some of their down years. Um, But the Beavers also missed USC, which is, I mean, huge as far as racking up wins go for the Beavers. That's uh, it doesn't get much tougher than than playing USC in this in this conference. And and this year, of course, had they played, it would have been in LA again. So yes. yeah. um, big, I think, for Oregon State to miss them. Uh, and, the and opponents honestly, looking at it too, this will be the last year that UCLA is played mm-hmm. too, because 2024 is when they're making the move to the Big Ten. Yep. It's also the first time Oregon State has played UCLA since 2019, a game at the Rose Bowl that I was at. It was a, a big win for Oregon State at the time as they were kind of trying to build things up. Uh, winning by double digits on the road against one of the LA schools, uh, 48-31 was the result in that one. Um, UCLA's last trip to Corvallis came in 2015, Andy. It's been multiple coaches uh, since <laughs> UCLA was was last up here. Um, so that UCLA's one, uh, coach then? Uh, I don't even remember. I couldn't tell you. They've they've been through quite a few. Yeah. Um, of course, so has Oregon State. So is Oregon that game State. Yeah. on uh, on October 14th. Uh, a couple other notes. Uh, the Arizona one is notable. Oregon State hasn't played the Wildcats since 2019. The Beavers put up 56 points uh, in Tucson there. And uh, again, that year where the Beavers were kind of building up a little bit uh, in, in Jonathan Smith's second year. The Beavers and Wildcats will both have buys going into that game, and no other team has a buy before playing the Beavers. Um, so right. I, I think the Pac-12 has done a better job recently of of matching up teams' buys so that yes. they both land in that week before. Uh, Oregon and Washington had that this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's the situation for Oregon State and Arizona. And then two non-conference notes. Oregon State and the San Jose State will play for the first time since 2015. It's also the Beavers' first trip to San Jose State since 1988. Um, Angie, do you have any recollection of that game? I don't because I was in eighth grade, Carter, and uh, I was a USC fan at the time, so I wouldn't even have been paying attention. There you go. All right. Um, I know you don't have any recollection of the last time Oregon State and UC <laughs> Davis played because <laughs> that was back in 1930. Uh, very few Oregon State fans, I'm sure, will remember the last time that the Beavers and Aggies played. 
Uh, but the Beavers are 4-0 all time in the series. And, you know, anytime you play an FCS opponent, you go into it expecting to win. Uh, so the Beavers hoping to get to 5-0 there. But the first time since 1930, which I, I, I always find that interesting when Oregon State has gone a long time without playing a school, particularly when it's a West Coast team, because... I mean, UC Davis is is always playing Pac-12 schools. Yeah, um, they just haven't played the Beavers in what eighty-three years. That's crazy. Ninety-three no, years. Ninety-three, and I was not around then either. So, believe it or not, my grandpa actually, who is still alive, I don't think he would have been alive. I think he was born mm-hmm. in thirty-one. So look at that. You have to go way back. Way back. Uh, we do have a few more minutes here before we need to get out. Uh, we're we're at the fifty-four minute mark, so. I'm glad we saved some time because we do want to answer some damn questions. Uh, we didn't get to do it last week. Uh, we're going to aim for a mailbag episode next week, but we're going to answer a few questions now. And we start with the questions from the lodge at Beaver Blitz because we do like to give priority to our members. Again, if you're not a member, take 30% off a subscription, uh, an annual subscription if you join today. Uh, Angie, I haven't weeded through any of these, so I'm just going to kind of peruse and, and see if anything catches my eye. Um, and, and one that that does is from Connor King, who asks, uh, how much of an impact does a big name quarterback transfer or commit influence other recruits on offense? And how much did DJU and Aiden Childs impact this year's recruiting class? So this is a good question for you since you cover question. more of the, the recruiting side. It's it's really important. And we I've talked about it time and time again, especially when Oregon State's not getting, um, you know, big quarterback Um these guys all play too. You have to remember seven on seven and they, they kind of build this rapport with each other, but a, a great wide receiver, great running backs, even, even alignment, they want to play for great quarterbacks and great leaders. So um, to get a guy like DJ or Aiden Childs is ginormous um, and it will pay dividends going forward as well. And, and I'll take I, I do want to take a shout out because today is Ben Goldbranson's birthday and so Carter, I don't know if you watch the NFL. I'm going off on a tangent here, mm-hmm. but I was watching NFL 49ers yesterday. Brock Purdy was an Oregon State um, prospect years ago. Ended up going to Iowa State. Was Mister Irrelevant. Um, and it's so funny because it. T- I looked at Eric last night. And I'm like, dude, he's Ben Goldbranson. You know, here's this guy that has done nothing. He was the third string quarterback. Has done nothing but win. And all the pundits and fans and media, all they're talking about is when they can get Jimmy, Jimmy Garofalo or their other, their number one guy back. That's all they're talking about. Not that Brent Brock Purdy is getting them has won like six games in a row now for him. It, it was kind of striking that kind of a little no respect. Totally. Uh, moving on to the next one from the lodge. Uh, Mr. Gray asks over under two and a half sellouts for Research stadium next season. So of course, Oregon state sold out all of its home games this year with that reduced capacity down to about 26,000. Um, but when the new West side opens, it'll be in the, the mid three, the mid 30 thousands. I, I think we've heard estimates anywhere from 35 to, to 40,000. I would expect it ends up around 38. I don't know if we've gotten a firm number on that yet. Um, but two and a half sellouts for research next season. Angie, I'm taking the over. Um, I am too. I, I Utah actually, will sell out. Yeah. Washington will sell out. I was going to say that all of the Pac-12 games would sell out. I, I don't think that Oregon State will sell out its non-conference games. No. Um, you know, even with that that first home game at the new Reeser coming yeah, in September, um, you know, you, you play against UC Davis. I don't think you're yeah. going to sell that out. But 
the fact that Oregon State sold out some of these games so far in advance, uh, those bigger games, the Washingtons, the Utahs, yeah. those strike me as obvious sellouts, even though UCLA. you're going to have 10,000 more seats. Yeah. Um, and I think UCLA might be the one that gets you over the edge. I think that one's kind of iffy. Yeah. Um, I am curious to see, you know, how often does Oregon State sell out this new research? Because yeah. it is downsizing a little bit, right-sizing, as they like right-sizing. to say. Yeah, there's a great um, thread in the lodge if you're not a member. And if you are a member, read it. OSU Prof has a really good analytical piece kind of about the, going back to Bob DeCareless days, early 2000 and getting this, this right. Um, I, I I'll go the over two though, Carter. I think if the Beavers keep winning, it'll be over. I have a question for you though. Reeser Beav 23 says, what is your opinion of the job Scott Barnes has done as the athletic director? The Smith Pendleton and Canham hires seem to be very good. Is he prioritizing the right sports as far as revenue placement? Totally. Uh, You have seen the commitment to football just go off the charts over the last couple of years. Reminder, Scott Barnes is the one who got the completing research stadium project like fully off the ground and and completed. Um, You know, there, there had been talks about that for years under Bob DeCareless and and in the past, but uh, it it did get done under Scott Barnes. Some of the hires that he's made with Mitch Canham, that seems to be a home run, no pun intended. Chris Pendleton getting the wrestling program back on track. Uh, Jonathan Smith, a great hire. He took the route of, of going and hiring an alumni, and, and I think that at Oregon State, that works well. Uh, if there's one knock on Scott Barnes, it's the extension that he gave Wayne Tinkle after the Elite Eight run. Um, but, of, of course, hindsight's twenty twenty. You know, you go back there, and I, I think in the moment, a lot of us were saying, really? Like, you're going to go with that many years? Why not, like, one or two and say, prove it? Um but if you were very confident in Wayne Tinkle at the time, I, I think the extension was somewhat warranted. So I think all in all, a, a pretty good job by Scott Barnes. Um, after the first couple of his years, you know, I, I think there was some hand wringing and some questions about, you know, is, is he the right guy for the job? Um, but as some of his decisions have, have t- had a couple of years now to, to percolate and, and to take hold, um, I think it's very obvious that he's done a very good job as athletic director at Oregon State. Yeah, there's been a, a big discussion in the lodge too about the tinkle and the, but when you have a, a like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty. We can look at that now and say that was just a fluky, lucky win. But at the time, we didn't know that. I mean, it was, uh, and I agree. Football is where it's out. This is where I've been beating the drum for for probably fifteen years that football needs to be where the money's spent because if you get football to a consistent top 15 program you're in a year out the money will come the rest yeah program. the rest takes care of itself yeah. um we did get three questions via twitter um two of them are about men's basketball so we can kind of okay. uh com- combine them let's start with pat beaverman's question about uh the Reeser west side seating for the spring game do you expect any seating on the west side to be available for the spring game i say no i say no um, no it will still be need... an active construction yeah. site at yeah. that point uh, it will be very close to completion. I'm sure there are some areas that will be safe for fans, um, but I just don't see them opening that up at all yes. until it is completely done. Plus, they typically only open one side anyway, just because yeah. of staffing. You know, they'll only have one side of concessions going, mm-hmm. security. So, no, I, I've i heard they're going to need through the summer to get it ready, that it yeah. will be ready to go kind of – and you just did the walkthrough, Carter. So, yeah. didn't they, I mean, didn't they say it would take right up until that first game? Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be mostly complete uh, by the end of June, early July. But yeah. they're not going to open it to the public until um, that that first game in September. Um, so you know it, it will essentially be done. 
early summer, but I don't, I don't think they want the general public in there until uh, the beginning of the football season. I would not be surprised if they set up a, a little media work area for the spring game on that side as they have in the past, but I don't think it'll be open to the public. Uh, really quickly, since we are now at an hour, let's answer these questions about men's basketball. Uh, Josh Harley asks simply, is there hope? for Beaver men's basketball uh, and Max asks if change is needed for men's basketball. Do you agree? Um, how many times Angie are we going to have the same conversation about Oregon state men's basketball? I, I feel like that is very telling. If you're saying the same thing yeah. over and over again, and if I'm writing the same thing over and over again, and it's generally not positive, that's usually when you know. But my question though, then Carter is, but where do you go? Right. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I've all along, I've wanted coach Tinkle to be successful. I think he's, he's a great interview. I think he is a great ambassador for Oregon state. Um, but we've seen now coach after coach after coach come in here and not get it done. I don't know what the answer is. I know that people aren't tuning in. I know that our threads in the lodge are not, nobody cares. And that when you start getting to apathy and we, mm-hmm. and you and I are writing the same thing, it, it does. It's you start to question, but my question, though, is where do they go? Who do yeah. they go get? I'll answer the is there hope question okay. uh, with with yes. And it, it might seem kind of crazy, but look at the young core Oregon State has. I mean, I, go, I, I was down at the Arizona game. I know they lost by double digits, but you saw what Michael Retai did, Tyler Bilodeau, yeah. Jordan Pope. I mean, those three guys combined for like 50 points. Uh, Bilodeau had his best game yet against a very, very tough front court. Like, these guys can play. Play. Like Oregon State has talent. It's just very young. It's very inexperienced. Um, and actually, it's it's a new coaching staff, too, because Tinkle's yeah. still there. But, you know, the assistants are new. It's going to take time for it to gel. Oftentimes, you see Tinkle teams play their best basketball at the end of the year. And I think you'll probably see that with this team as it ages. Um, but I think where the, where the hope lies is if Oregon State can keep that young yeah. core intact, yeah. which is a huge, huge if. Because Wayne Tinkle has not been able to retain talent at Oregon State. Look at Warren Washington thriving at Arizona State. Um, if they can keep that young core intact, I think next year could look pretty decent for Oregon State. But, you know, again, can, can Wayne Tinkle hold on to his job after another season of being very down? Can Oregon State keep some of its young, promising guys around? Like, these things are completely unknown. But I think if those two things happen next year, won't be as bad as this year. I can almost guarantee you that. Well, and, and the other positive piece for hope with these young guys is that they're actually playing hard. Last year, I felt mm-hmm. that there was a t- too much apathy in, in players not wanting to play hard. So, um, but your, your key is correct. Can they keep this group intact for more than just a year and reap the benefits of, of that more veteran group? And can they develop the talent, which has yes. been a huge concern in the past as well. Um, you've actually seen players take steps backward before under the staff. Um, so can they keep them around? Can they improve uh, what they have? That's that's the key. I, as of now, I would say, sure, you can probably plan on some of that, but um, you never know. You never know. This This is a very mediocre basketball program, and sometimes they pop as they have twice and, and made it to the tournament, and sometimes they put together the worst seasons in program history. It's a, it's a low ceiling, high floor situation with Wayne Tinkle as the head coach. So you're going to have some down years, but you're also probably going to watch some exciting basketball from time to time. And as long as this staff's around, that's probably what you're going to get. But um, I I do think it is fair to say that there is hope, um, but it's probably not in the, in the super near future. So 
Sorry to end on a disappointing note talking about basketball. But hey, but spring ball's coming. Spring football and baseball. There you go. Yeah, baseball, two days, two days away from media day. Head to Beaver Blitz for coverage of baseball media day. Um, I know that there's a lot of excitement around that program, uh, and there is a lot of reason to be excited. So uh, stick with Beaver Blitz. Baseball coverage starting this week. Of course, football's not going anywhere. Uh, we cover that year-round. And, and basketball, if you are interested, we'll have that as well. Uh, head to Beaver Blitz, take 30% off an annual subscription if you sign up today and uh, join us here on, on next Monday as we close out the month of January with another episode of the damn podcast, uh, a mailbag, we hope. Uh, and we'll see if Barring any major breaking week. news. <laughs> Seems like something always happens. Uh, but until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines and we'll talk to you next Monday for another episode of the damn podcast. <laughs>now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.